Good morning. Good to see all of you. I was so excited. I got my mug and I just threw it up and I got water all over me. I was so excited to be here today. Well, we're kicking off a brand new series here today called God Inside. And it's about the person, the works, the ministry, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Greg and I couldn't be more excited. We've been uh, thinking about this for quite a long time now, actually over a year. And we've just been waiting for the right opportunity to come and present this to you. Uh, I wanted to, to give you just a couple of heads up. This is, you know, this is going to be kind of a different series. It's different in the sense that we're, it's really going to be a, an in-depth study of, of the Word of God just to help us to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how He operates and how He lives in our lives. You know, you probably all would agree with me. There are probably, there's probably a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And in our prayer is that we can bring a lot of clarity uh, to you through the Word of God, clarity on, on who He is and how he, he operates. And so we're really excited about this, so I want to encourage you to be here. Bring your Bibles uh, right so that you can take good notes, and of course you can do that again today. Um, for, from time to time, this is, I'm guessing the series will last about two months or so, and partly because from time to time, there will be some interruptions, some worthwhile interruptions. We're going to do a timeout, a pause, just to, to do some other things along the way. So, for example, in two weeks, the weekend of May 5th and 6th is our Illuminate weekend. It's our missions weekend. And so we're going to really be talking about missions. You'll be meeting the team that's going to be going on mission trips this year. And, and I'm going to tell you about some other opportunities that we have even this year that are very exciting. We're bringing in two very special guests to be with us. And you're going to be absolutely riveted. I'm telling you, you're going to be riveted by what they have to say. So don't miss that weekend. It's going to be um, just very, very moving, I think, in so many different ways. And then the weekend after that is Mother's Day weekend. And we're doing something special for that. And we're not going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to do something special for that. And as always, my wife and her team, is put, they're putting little gifts together for all of the ladies in our church, not just the mothers, but all the ladies in our church, just to honor you and to thank you for who you are. So invite your mom, invite your friends to, to join us for, for Mother's Day weekend. And then uh, the weekend of June 1st and 2nd, I believe it's June 1st and 2nd, Dr. Josh Straub, this would be in June, uh, Dr. Josh Straub is going to be here with us, and he, we're bringing him out from Nashville, Tennessee, and he's going to be with us, and he's going to be leading, on Saturday, he's going to be leading a, a marriage workshop called Winning at Marriage, and he is a a really terrific uh, teacher on, on marriage and family. And we've asked him, he's a young guy, we've asked him to speak. In fact, he's so good, we've asked him to stay for the entire weekend, speak to the regular service. So Saturday evening at 5 and on Sunday at, at, at um, 9 and 11, he'll be here. And uh, I've had a chance to preview what he's going to say. And he's not going to be talking about marriage uh, during that weekend. He's going to be talking about other, uh, another subject that is very germane to all of us. And I think that something you'll all relate to, and he, but he's an excellent communicator. And you don't want to be here, you don't want to miss that. Uh, it's not very often that we'll allow an outside speaker to come in, and that's because I really guard the pulpit. And I really care about who's, who's up here, and he's one of those, those individuals that feel like, well, you, we just, you all just need to hear from him, so uh, don't miss that weekend. So again, there'll be some interruptions along the way, but they're going to be good things. Uh, hopefully, uh, every time we have somebody up here, you're going to be uh, absolutely moved by what um, God has to say to each and every one of you. And so again, invite your friends, join us. Uh, and I think you're going to learn a lot. I mean, you're really going to learn a lot. Today, I want to just lay the groundwork 
uh, for this series. But before I do, I want to open up our time in a word of prayer. And I, I just want you to know that this week, Cheryl and I had the opportunity, my wife and I had the opportunity to go visit Matthew Rodriguez, who I told you about at our Easter service. He's in the hospital. This is Matt here. And he is, uh, is in the fight of his life. He has a, a very serious case of um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he's been uh, having a hard time with it. He's been in the hospital for three months. But he sends his thanks and greetings to all of you. Uh, his family is just overwhelmed by your financial monetary gifts to them. It's helping them out a, a, a lot because the mom is at the hospital. Heather's at the hospital every day. She had to quit her job just so she could be with her son. And so it's been difficult for them. Uh, he's overwhelmed, been overwhelmed by all the, the letters and the notes that you wrote to him. He's got that there by his bedside. And I think I mentioned at a couple of the services, I don't think I mentioned at every service, but a couple of the services that, that Matt is a, a big Dodger fan. And I still love him, even if he's a Dodger fan. But, um, he's a, and his favorite player is Matt Kemp. And so I, I think I asked if anybody has any connections with the Dodgers, let them know. Maybe we can get something from, from the Dodgers. And so thanks to James Baker, James, uh, we were able to get a hold of the Dodgers and we contacted them, told them about Matt's bout with cancer and his love of the Dodgers and, and Matt Kemp. And Matt Kemp, bless his heart, uh, sent over a hat that he's wearing, uh, a T-shirt, a letter you see on his bedside. He signed it. Uh, and he sent over a signed baseball to Matt Rodriguez. And we gave it to him. And, and he was just absolutely thrilled uh, beside himself. So that was really cool. Please keep him in your prayers. I know I haven't heard from his grandmother today, but I know that yesterday he had a really tough day. Again, he's been in the hospital for three months. Lots of ups and downs, all kinds of complications. But uh, thank you, church, just for being so loving to him and his family. And I know that you, you, you know, probably don't even know him uh, personally, but thank you so much. And let's, let's keep lifting up this 17-year-old uh, to the Lord. And then also, Pastor Greg is off doing a wedding today. But he hasn't gotten the results back from his MRI, and so we're waiting to hear. But his hearing is still about the same, hasn't really improved uh, too much. And so let's keep him in your prayers. He, says he has a really positive attitude, and it's just a, such a blessing to be around him. Uh, just saying, you know, my, it's, it's all in God's hands. And, you know, when I hear about Matt, he says, it's, it's, what I'm going through is nothing. And I, it's, but, uh, you know, it's a big deal for all of us. I know it's a big deal for him, but okay, so let's pray, and then we'll get started, get into the, today's message. Well, Lord God, it's how good it is to come before you this morning. There is, there is no one like you. You are God. You are, you are so loving. You're so gracious. You're so merciful. You're so powerful. And God, we, we come before you. We, we come confess that we are sinners, and that we uh, fall short of your glory, and yet, God, you continue to love us, and you welcome us into your fellowship, into your, into your family. And Father, it's good to be here today, and Father, as a family, we come, and we lift up Matt Rodriguez to you, and God, our hearts go out to him. Gosh, we can't even imagine, you know, what it's been like for him, and all we know, God, is to just cry out to you with all of our hearts, God, that you would touch this young teenager, you would bring healing to his body. God, that today you would give him a good day, that today he would re rebound, and today some of those side effects and complications that he's been suffering from will, will disappear, and that you would strengthen him and heal him. 
I pray the same for Pastor Greg today, God. Thank you so much for this servant of yours off doing a wedding for April and Jeremy. And God, we ask for your favor to be upon that couple and and upon Pastor Greg and that you would bring healing uh, to, to, to his hearing loss. God, thank you for how you're using that just to bring, make him more ep- empathetic. But, but again, we, we cried and asked God that you'd bring, give him a healing touch. And, and do that today. Holy Spirit, we, uh, you know, forgive us for not, mis- not understanding you completely and for misunderstanding you so often. And I pray today that you would work in such a way through me and in, in our hearts that we would understand more clearly, better than ever before, who you are and how you work and what you can do in our lives. So thank you, Father, so much for this morning. So good to be here. Bless our time. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you may know, I, I have two daughters, Kylie and Natalie. And when they were both four years old, Kylie is four years older than Natalie, but when she was four, and then later on when Natalie was four, I, I had this discussion with them, this conversation with them, and I would, I would always be the one to tuck them in bed and pray with them. But they, they grew up, you know, as a pastor, they grew up uh, knowing about the Lord. Cheryl was our kids' crew leader at the time, and so she was always introducing them to the Lord, and they had a lot of exposure. Well, one evening as I was tucking uh, Kylie into bed, I asked her a very simple question, and the question was, Kylie, where... Where's, where's God? And she said, well, he's in heaven. And I go, well, that's right. I said, but where else is he? And she said, well, he's everywhere. And I go, well, that's right. And then I asked her, well, where else is he? And that time I stumped her because she thought she had the bases covered. Well, he's in heaven and he's all around here. Well, where else could he be? And then, and, and it's funny because when four years later when Natalie was four, I had the same conversation. I asked her the same question. Hey, Natalie, where's God? He's up there. Where, where else is he? Well, he's around here. I said, where else is he after that? And she didn't know how to respond. Well, finally, I finally told him. I said, well, God can also be in your heart if you ask him to. He can be in your heart. By faith in Jesus Christ, he will come to live in your hearts. And they, they thought that was the coolest thing. And I said, but he'll only come into your heart if you want him to. He, he won't barge his way in. He won't push his way in. He won't force his way into your life. He'll only come into your heart if you want him to, by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.17. And by the way, I, I'm going to put that up here for you. Uh, Ephesians 3.17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Christ can dwell in your hearts. He can also be here through our faith in the Lord Jesus. And by the way, you have uh, in your Baywatch uh, a note, a sheet with some verses on it. Uh, I want to tell you, we're going to do a little study here today. And most of the verses here at the very beginning, I'm just going to fly through them. So we're not really going to study them. It's just kind of references. So I didn't list them there. If you want to write them down, that'd be great or follow along in the Bible. We'll put all the verses up here, but if you open up your South Bay Community Church app, you can go to the Play Store, the Apple Store, download our South Bay Community Church app. All the verses will be listed there for you or on here, but not all on your, your note sheet. The, the, our primary text and uh, the verses will be on your notes, but not all of them, all right? But, so anyways, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and so through faith in Jesus Christ, God can come and live in your hearts. And so when I told Kylie and Natalie 
that God could live in their hearts. You know what they said? Well, I want God in my heart. I want God in my heart. I mean, it wasn't even, it was a no-brainer. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to say, well, let me pray about that. Let me, let, me, let me think about it overnight, whether I want that or not. They were like, yeah. And so that evening, for both of them, four years apart, those four-year-olds verbalized their faith in Jesus Christ, and God came into their hearts. And I know it changed their lives. And, and the notion, the notion that the God of the universe can live inside of you, think about that. It's mind-boggling. The God of the universe can live inside of your heart. That just blows me away. And I think, we, I think we just take it for granted that that's the case, but I don't think we should. Well, today I want to start, lay the groundwork for who the Holy Spirit is. I want to start by giving you kind of an abbreviated history lesson, abbreviated history of God. And again, these verses are not going to, it's going to fly right through them, so I'm just going to kind of reference them. I'm not going to even read all of them. So we're, that's why they're not on your list. But if you want to write them down, by all means, write them down again. Look at, look at the app. But we have to go back to the very beginning. If I want to give you a history lesson on God, I want to go back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. In the very beginning, the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the universe. And then he created the Garden of Eden. And then he showed up in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve heard him walking in the garden. Genesis 3, 8. This is the first one. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Well, later on, not too much long after that, God showed up in a burning bush and spoke to Moses. Remember Exodus 3, and, he, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And then 10 chapters later, God appeared to the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We see this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And it might have looked like this. This is a scene from the movie Ten Commandments. That's Charlton Hessen's. Uh, being Moses there, and there was this pillar of fire, and that's how God showed up to them. A few chapters later, we read this description. We find this description of God's presence, Exodus 19, verse 16 through 19. It says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai, that was the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So Almighty God came down upon this mountain, and all of his glory and all of his might, and the mountain trembled, and there was fire, and there was smoke, and there was the sound of the trumpet. And the people stood at the base of the mountain to meet God. They came to meet God. And then later on, Moses constructed the Ark of the Covenant, which might have looked something like this. It's rather small, actually. It looks big in the picture, but it's rather small. The Ark of the Covenant came to symbolize the presence of God, according to uh, the Scriptures. 1 Samuel 4, 4, here's an example. It says, so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. The cherubim would, would be the two objects on the top, the, the angels. And the scriptures say that the Lord was right, it was enthroned right there on the, the cherubim. It was on the lid there. And so the Israelites would carry the ark around because it symbolized the presence of God. And whenever the ark went anywhere, it, it symbolized his power. And they, and they always experienced victory when they had the ark because the Lord was with them. And then they put the ark of the covenant 
under a tent. And it might have looked like this, and it was called the tabernacle. And they would come, and they would worship and meet the Lord there at the tabernacle. Here's Exodus 33, 7. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he, he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And when Moses entered the tent, verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So God would show up here, and the people would come to meet the Lord here at the tent because the Ark of the Covenant was inside. And then years later, King Solomon constructed the temple of God. And the Ark of the Covenant, remember the temple of God might have looked something like this, and the Ark of the Covenant was placed inside the Holy of Holies. And here's what Solomon said about the temple, 1 Kings 8, 13. I have indeed built you an exalted house. That would be the temple, a place for you to dwell in forever. This is the place where people came to meet God. It was at the temple. And it says it was a place for you to dwell in forever. But the problem, it was, the problem is that it wasn't forever. Because as you may know, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ was born, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. And it is believed that before the temple was destroyed, the Levites, the Levite priests came in and carted the ark away knowing that, knowing that it was, they were going to be attacked. And they took it away and it hasn't been seen since. And no one knows for sure where the ark is today. So to recap this history of God, God created the heavens and the earth. He showed up in the garden. He appeared in a burning bush, spoke to Moses. He manifested himself to the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He showed up in a blaze of glory, came down upon Mount Sinai, and then, and then his presence was symbolized the ark, by the Ark of the Covenant. He met the people under a tent and then in the temple. And then, and then I would add throughout history, he would speak to a select group of individuals called prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and many others, minor prophets as well. That's kind of the history of God to this point. Now fast forward those 586 years from the time Solomon's temple was destroyed to the time of Christ. It is now the year zero. 586 years we fast forward and Jesus is born. This is the first Christmas. Jesus is born. The apostle John described the first Christmas this way, John 1, in verse 1, and then verse 14. He wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And the Word came to live among us. The Word was Jesus. The flesh was Jesus. God came in human form to live among us. Here's how the Apostle Paul described who Jesus was in Colossians 1. Stunning description, Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, I love this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him all the fullness of God... The complete and total fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. Amazing. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things to whom also he created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. The writer of Hebrews said that Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God. Taken together, this means that the same God who created the heavens and the earth the same God who appeared to Moses in a burning bush, the same God who showed up in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the same God who descended on Mount Sinai in a blaze of glory, that same God who accompanied the ark, that same God that the people met in the tabernacle and at the temple was in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of God was in this man. And for the first time in human history, for the first time in human history, Almighty God walked among his people. He walked among people. This was the game changer. And that means you didn't have to go to the tabernacle. You didn't have to go to the temple. You didn't have to look for a burning bush. You didn't have to wait at the base of Mount Sinai. You didn't have to look up in the sky for looking for a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. All you needed to do was talk to Jesus because he was God. And for those who knew he was God, it didn't get any better than this. It didn't get any better than this. All you need to do is walk. you could walk side. If you lived at that time, you could walk side by side with Jesus. And you could sit on the mountain and just listen to every word. And if you can get close enough, you can, you can touch his garment and be healed. You could hear from him and it would change your life. And then they crucified him. In a split second, he was dead. He was gone. Deity would no longer walk on the face of the earth. His followers were devastated. They were distraught. But you know the end of the story. You know the end of the story because three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's what Easter is all about. That's what we just celebrated. But his followers didn't see it coming. He told them that he was going to rise from the dead, but they never saw it coming. They had tunnel vision. All they could think of was, he's gone. He's dead. What are we going to do? Well, three days after Jesus was crucified, and we're getting the good stuff here. Three days after Jesus was crucified, Mary Magdalene hurried over to the tomb. So it's now Sunday. He's crucified on Friday. It's now Sunday. She hurries over to the tomb because she wants to 
finish the embalming and the preparation of the body. She goes there. The, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. She looks inside, and he's gone. The body is gone. And so she goes over there, and first she witnesses the crucifixion. Then his body's gone. It, it was too much for her to bear. I mean, is that, this, this broke her. Somebody took his body. And so she started to weep. She started to sob. And right at that moment, Scripture tells us that she turned around, and there he was. Take a look at John 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she didn't recognize him, so she thought he was the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And maybe it was the way he said it. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, and immediately she recognized him. And 17 says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Cling to me. This is the Greek word hapto, and it means to fasten to. The moment Mary realized she was talking to Jesus, she went over there and she just fastened herself to him. She just grabbed him and wouldn't let him go. She just clung to him. And then he said something very interesting to her. He said, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Well, what do the two have to do with each other? I mean, I get it like, stop touching me, you know, like, but, but what do the two have to do? Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. What in the world did he mean? Well, let me tell you what was going on here. Jesus knew that he was soon going to the Father. He knew that he was going to soon ascend into heaven. See, God's plan was for him to remain on earth for 40 days after his resurrection to appear to his followers and to all kinds of people so that there would be witnesses of his resurrection. And then after the, on the 40th day, he, he would return to heaven. He would ascend into heaven. And when he arrived into heaven, he knew already what he was going to do. He, he, he knew already what he was going to, to ask his father. And it tells us in John 14. Now, this is your main passage, so this is, this is all in your notes now. This is the main passage for John 14, verse 16 and 17. When, as soon as he got to heaven, here's what was going to happen. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, so this was the plan. Jesus said, the moment he gets to heaven, he's going to ask his Father, and his Father is going to give his followers, Jesus' followers, another helper. Will you circle another helper? He's going to give them another helper. Now, let me unpack this for you. First of all, the word helper is the Greek word parakletos. Help, by the way, and, and we're going to do a little bit of Greek thing today. So the, for, for those of you who are new to our church, the New Testament was written in Greek, in Koine Greek. And what we have in our Bibles, New Testament, is, a, is an English translation. And sometimes the English doesn't translate or doesn't convey the, the real 
sense of what the words really mean. So sometimes we look at the Greek words to figure out what, what it's really saying. So that's what we're kind of doing here. And the word helper there is the word parakletos. And it is made up of two Greek words. It's a p- compound word. It's made up of the word para, which, is, which means uh, alongside. It's where we get the word parallel. And it's also made up of the word kletos, which means to call alongside. And so helper, parakletos, means to call alongside. Now, it's a, very general, it's a very general word. It's often translated as advocate or comforter or teacher, even teacher or encourager. You're a parakletos or, or helper. It's someone who comes alongside, and the implication of someone who is a parakletos, someone who comes alongside, is that they're probably a little wiser than you, that they're a little smarter than you, that they're a little more powerful than you, that they're a little more capable than you, which is why they come alongside you. All right, and that's kind of the implication here. Now, the other word I want you to look at is the word another. The father, he's going to ask the Father to give us another helper. The word another is a very interesting word. In English, there's only one word for another. And it's the word another, right? In the Greek, there are two words for the word another. The first Greek word for another is heteros, uh, which, which means another of a different kind. Heteros is where we get the word heterosexual, which means, for example, it describes a human being of a different kind. In other words, it would be a man and a woman. That's what heteros is. And the other Greek word would be alas, which means uh, another of the exact same kind. Another of the exact same kind. And the word that Jesus used here in John 14, 16 is alas. So when he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you alas, another helper, he was saying alas parakletos. In other words, what he was saying was, I'm going to ask my Father to send you a helper, get this, who is exactly like me. Exactly like the same kind of helper that I am is the kind of helper that I'm going to ask him to send you. I love it. And um, who is the helper? The helper he was going to send, verse 17, next verse, is the spirit of truth. It is the spirit of truth. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus called him the spirit of truth because that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the truth. In fact, he said earlier in that chapter, in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? So Jesus is the truth, and so he called, he said, this other, this other helper I'm going to send you is the spirit of truth because he is truth just like I am truth. And so Jesus said when he got to heaven, he was going to ask his father to send the Holy Spirit of truth down to planet earth. And where was the Holy Spirit going to go, to go exactly? Where was he going to go? Well, first of all, we know that the Holy Spirit was, was God. He was God. He's going to be exactly like Jesus. He's God. And scriptures bear out the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And let me show you a couple things real quick. Acts 5, verse 3. Peter had this uh, encounter with Ananias. And Ananias lied. So Peter said to him in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Notice who he lied to. He says, why, why has he filled your heart to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Who did Peter say Ananias lied to? Holy Spirit, right? But if you jump down to the very next verse, the end of verse 4, it says, and I'm going to read the whole thing, but it says, you have not lied to man but to God, right? And you connect the two together. In other words, what Peter was saying was, Ananias, when you lied to the Holy Spirit, 
you lied to God because the Holy Spirit is God. And that's something very, so that's the first point you can write down. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And again, why, why would the Holy Spirit, um, it begs the question, why, why, did he, why would he send the, the Holy Spirit? Why send the Holy Spirit? Why will he send the Holy Spirit? Well, the passage in John 14, if you go back to it, uh, gives us two answers. John 14, 16, once again, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Here it is, why? To be with you forever. You can underline it. To be with you forever. You know, when I was a little boy, my uncle and aunt gave my brother and me the best Christmas present we've ever gotten. And it was a Lionel train set. I think we were like five or six years old. And they gave us the Lionel train set. Uh, and every year, my dad would get the Lionel train set and he would set it up under the tree. And this is uh, the Lionel train set. It's just the coolest thing. It's heavy and you could put little tablets inside the smokestack and it would make, the smoke would come out it was, as it was chugging along the tracks. And every year my dad would set it up under the tree and, after, and we would play with it. And then after Christmas was done, he would pack, put it all back in the box and put it away, put it uh, back inside the garage. And every Christmas he would take it out, set it up under the tree. And then after Christmas was over, pack it up, put it away in the garage. And when, as we got older, we kind of lost, we really lost interest in the trains. Like, you know, you don't need to set the trains up, Dad. You know, I'm 10 years old now. I mean, I'd, you know, I'm kind of cool. Um, well, about 15 years ago, uh, I, started, I thought about the train and I thought, I wonder if we still have that train, because I hadn't seen it since I was a little kid. Uh, and so I asked my mom, I said, hey, mom, do we still have that train set? She says, oh, yeah, here, it's still here in the garage. I go, really? I said, we still have it? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's come get it. And I go, so I went over to her house. I went over specifically just to, to look for the train set. I went in the garage, found the train set, and there it was in the same box that it had been in since the last time I saw it when it was around eight years old. And it looked exactly the same, except the train tracks had, had become rusty. And so I took it home with me, and I found out there was a train store in Culver City. So I went to the train store, said, I've got this Lionel train set, and I need some tracks. Oh, yeah, they're right over there. And I went over there, the exact same train tracks. So I bought a whole bunch of train tracks, came home, set it up, put the tablets in there, and this thing was like, woo-woo. It's just going around. It was the coolest thing, right? And I go, Kylie, Natalie, take a look. This is so cool. And they, they could care less. They're girls. They didn't care. I want Barbie. So, so, so the next week, so I packed it up. The next week, I brought it to church. We had our offices down the street on this other place on 190th Street. Set it up in my office. And I said, well, at least I'm going to enjoy it. Can't enjoy it at, at home, so I'll just enjoy it. So during the day, I'm doing my work, and i am just got the train going around. It's the coolest thing. And I'll never forget the day when a little boy named Drew uh, came to church Walked into my office. He was around seven. And when he saw the locomotive with the puffs of smoke coming out and the red caboose, got a red caboose, his jaw dropped and his eye just became as wide as saucers. And he was so excited. And I got excited because he was excited. And every Sunday after that, for the entire month of December, he would, he would, as soon as he got there, he would run upstairs to my office and say, where's the train set? And we'd put the train in. We'd go, ooh, okay, okay, Drew, you got to go to kids' crew now. And he'd come back after kids' crew and like we would, play with the trains, and it was so fun. Every Sunday he would do that. And then Christmas came and went, and now it was early January, so I packed up the train, took it home, and put it in the garage. And it's still there in the garage. That next Sunday, Drew came to church, ran upstairs, 
looked in my office, and the train was gone. And Drew said, Uncle Gary, where's the train? I says, well, Drew, I, I had to put it away. And tears formed in his eyes as, as I told him. I says, you know, I, you can't play with it forever. You know, it's, it was time to put it away. Hey, I, I said, hey, nothing's forever, Drew. Christmas comes and goes, and then everything goes back in the box. Christmas comes, and that's how life is. Life, life is, nothing is forever. I hate that. I really hate that. I've just lost all of my uh, uncles and aunts recently. The last one just died. And it's like, I hate that. It's, nothing's forever. Your kids won't stay small forever. The people you care about the most won't be around forever. Even Jesus wasn't around forever. And that's why I love the reason why, why God sent, why the Father sent us the Holy Spirit. And you just underline it in verse 16. It was to be with us forever. To be with us forever. He wasn't going to go back into a box after a short time. This was not some short-term gig. This was not a temporary assignment. He was coming to be with us forever. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly, he was coming to live inside of you forever. Through the valley of the shadow of death, he would be with you forever, no matter what happened. Through the thick and thin of life, he would be with you forever until he took you home to be with his Father in heaven. And I love that. And you know where exactly the Holy Spirit was going to come when he came to earth? Well, verse 17. I'll put it up here for you again. Even the spirit of truth, this other helper, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, doesn't know the truth, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He will be in you. Will you underline that last part? Underline, will be in you. The Holy Spirit was coming God was going to, the Father was going to send another helper, alas parakletas, to live inside of you, to live inside of his people, you and me. So write that one down. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And now, get this, now it makes so much sense why Jesus said to Mary in John 20, 17, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I've got something better. I've got something that better than just my physical presence because the moment I get to the Father, I will ask him and he will send you another helper and he will come to live in you. And that was better than his mere physical presence that God would live in her. And that meant wherever she went, he would be there. If Jesus crossed the sea to go to the other side on the Sea of Galilee, well, then she couldn't be with him. But with the Holy Spirit, he was better. He would live inside of her, and that meant no matter where she went, even if it was out his physical presence, God would still be there. He would always be with her. And this is this idea that the God of the universe could live inside of you is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, who showed up in a burning bush, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night who descended on Mount Sinai in, a, in fire and smoke, who accompanied the glorious, who, whose glorious presence accompanied the Ark of the Covenant, showed up in a tabernacle and temple, who walked the dusty roads of Galilee and Jerusalem, now comes to live in our hearts through the agent of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened to my daughters when they put their faith in Christ at the age of four. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. Happened to me when I was 21. 
happened to my parents when they were in their late 70s and early 80s. That when they expressed their faith in Christ, the God of the universe came to live inside of them. And this marvelous wonder explains why the Apostle Paul asked the question in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 16. He asked this question, do you not know, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I mean, do you not get it? Do you not understand that you are now the temple of God? As I explained earlier, in the old days, the Jews would show up at the temple to meet God, and then the temple was destroyed. So what? Because you are now the temple. The Holy, the Holy Spirit dwells in your temple, your body. You are the temple. And if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, well, how important is it that you take care of your temple? How important is it that you take care of your body? Because it is the temple of God. I mean, if we were around the time the temple existed, or if it existed today, well, we would, we would take care of it. And just as we try to take care of this facility here. You know, when I found out that Cheryl was pregnant for the first time, I told her we needed to quit smoking cigars because there was another human being living inside of her. No, I'm kidding. We, we don't smoke cigars, right? But seriously, nice Photoshop. I don't know if the cigars are big enough in Cheryl's hand, if it's perfectly in her, in her hand. But seriously, if you cared, if you cared about what you put in your body because you had a baby living inside of you, and I know every mother does, right? Right away, oh, you need to take the prenatal vitamins and do this and, and don't do this and don't do that and don't be smoking and don't be drinking and all those kinds of things because it's bad for the body. Absolutely, right? If you care about taking care of your body because you know that you've got a baby inside of you, well, how much more should every one of us take care of our bodies because the living God is inside of us. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And that's not just cliche. It's the truth. It's, it's real. Well, let me point out one final truth about the Holy Spirit to you, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can write that one down. He is a person. Now, when I say he's a person, I don't mean he's a person in the sense of a human being. I mean he's a, a person in the sense of someone who has a volition or a will, emotions and feelings, and an intellect. All right? A, a Holy Spirit has all these things, and thus we can call him, we can rightfully, rightfully refer to him as a person. Uh, and we see this in a number of places in Scripture. But let me just take you back to our, our main text, John 14, 17. And it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he, circle the word he, dwells with you and will be in you. All right, the word he is a pronoun. The Holy Spirit is a he. And you know him. Him is a pronoun. He is a person. See, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Just as God the Father is a person, just as Jesus is a person, we can rightfully call all three of them persons, not because they're human being, but because they exhibit and have the same characteristics of a person, a will, an intellect, a volition, emotions, those kinds of things. In fact, 
The most mysterious doctrine in the Bible, the most mysterious doctrine in the Bible is also the greatest doctrine in the Bible, and is the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to our faith and is predicated on the truth that there's only one God, there's only one God, and he exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? There is one God, and he exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matt Perman, writing for a publication called Desiring God, excellent publication, John Piper's publication, made an astute observation on the personhood of God, and I'm going to put it up here for you. Here's what he wrote. He said, the fact that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons means, in other words, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he is not the Son or the Father. They are different persons, not three different ways of looking at God. He's right. The Trinity is not this mathematical equation, one plus one plus one equals three. That's not the Trinity. One plus one plus one equals three. There aren't three separate gods in the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity doesn't divide God up into three groups or three peoples or three parts or three roles. And the Father is not one-third God, and Jesus is not one-third God, and the Holy Spirit is not one-third God. They are all all completely 100% God. 100% God, 100% God, 100% God, one God. Trinity would be more appropriately expressed by this mathematical equation. One times one times one equals one. There's one God in three persons. And there's a classic, here's a classic example of the Trinity appearing in the same verse, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, and you all know this verse, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There it is right there. The Trinity in one verse, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God. And they're all one. And so the Holy Spirit is God inside. He is inside. Now, let me leave you with these words because it begs the question, all right, so what? All right, so what? Well, it's quite a big deal, actually. I'm going to leave you these words uh, that were written by Francis, Ch Francis Chan, and here's what he wrote. He said, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. I think he's right. I think he's right. Is that you? Have you experienced the power and the presence, the activity? of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you in the past year, in the past week? Or have you forgotten him altogether? Oh yeah, you believe in him, but you don't live according to his power. It, just kind of a milquetoast Christian. You know, we, we experience trials every day. Right? And, and yet we've got this power living inside of us and I know that I'm, I'm the biggest offender 
when it comes to understanding, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of me. Let me close with this final verse, Romans 8, 11. The Apostle Paul wrote, and I want you to take out a pen for this one. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Deep, profound verse here, but I want you to take a pen and I want you to underline it. We're going to make a question into a statement. Underline from this, uh, this part here, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Underline that. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead Think of how much power it took to raise Christ from the dead. Lives in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And if that's true, think about it. If that's true, what are the repercussions? What does it mean for our lives? It means that we ought to, we ought to have so much more going on for us. We have to have so much more power. We shouldn't feel like, oh, I'm so defeated. Oh, I'm so weak. Oh, I can't do anything. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. That's what this promise says to us. And yet most of us are like, we can barely, you go to Costco and you just get all messed up, right? Because, oh, man, I'm such a bad Christian. Think all these because. But the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is in you. So, that's the, the introduction. If it's true, I, I want you to think about that this week. If it's true, then how should you live your lives? All right? And I hope you'll stay with us for this series. Today's just the introduction. There's a lot more to come. There's a lot of ground to cover. All right? So come back next week, okay? We'll close our time in prayer for today. And would you just bow your, your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I want to ask you what I asked Natalie and Kylie when they were four years old. And that's this. Where's God? And if you said, oh, he's in heaven, I'd say, well, yeah, you're right. Where else is he? And if you said, well, he's all around. Well, you'd be right about that too. But where else is he? Well, I hope, hope you'll learn today that he can also live in your hearts by faith in Jesus Christ if you ask him to. I guess the question is have you asked him to would you like for the spirit of God God himself to live in your hearts and if you would I want to invite you to believe in him by faith and ask him to be to be part of your life. And if you will do that today, He will come to live in your hearts. Not just at this moment,
Lord, forever and ever and ever. Will you express your faith in him today? Just say this, dear God, I believe in you. And by faith, I accept and believe that Jesus was your son, that he came to earth as a man and died on a cross for my sins and was raised from the dead. I believe. Today, I receive that truth and I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Walk with me. Help me to walk with you. Holy Spirit, come into my life. If you will pray that prayer. In fact, if you just pray that prayer, fireworks may not have gone off, but at the very moment you pray that prayer, the God of the universe came into your heart. And it doesn't get any better than that. Father, thank you so much for this amazing promise to us and this history lesson that you came and people had to go to where you were at to see you, to meet with you, to encounter you, and then, and then you sent your son. And that was, oh, that was so good. That was great. And he walked on this earth. And those who were alive at the time, that was really good for them because they got a chance to see him in person. But he hasn't, but Jesus hasn't walked, God hasn't walked on planet earth for 2,000 years. But then you sent your Holy Spirit to be in us. And that's way better than simply walking on planet earth. And now you can be in us. God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us for forgetting, for neglecting, for misusing, misunderstanding this third person of the Trinity. God, continue to bring clarity to us over the, over the, couple, uh, the coming weeks that we might know more and more and understand more and more about who you are and how you can live in our lives and the power that you can give to us. God, may even this week, even this week may we begin to, to live according to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So thank you, Father, for what you did. Thank you for all those today who, might, who by faith received you into their hearts. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in their lives from here on out. It's the best thing in the world. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.